Welcome to the Vineyard Boise Sunday Message Podcast. You can join us live on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, and vineyardboise.org slash live. Subscribe to our message podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And if you'd like to support Vineyard Boise, you can give online at vineyardboise.org slash give. Today's message is brought to you by Pastor Trevor Estes. Enjoy. So we have a special thing going on today, as I kind of arranged myself here. Um, last Sunday, we had a baptism Sunday. We do that the, every time there's a fifth Sunday, which is three times, or every third, every third month, there's a fifth Sunday month. Uh, and so four times a year, we do a baptism Sunday as part of our Sunday gathering. Last Sunday, we had 18 people respond in baptism. Um, that is fantastic and to be celebrated. Um, this Sunday, we're doing uh, baby dedications. And we don't do those at the same time. We didn't, you notice we didn't have babies being baptized. And here's why. Um, we, we believe that baptism is best understood uh, scripturally as something that, that people choose when they have the opportunity to choose that for themselves. Uh, and so we reserve that as something for people to, to be able to, to ask for it at an age-appropriate time. Uh, so we did have some young kids being baptized that had chosen that, and they understood it at the level that was appropriate for their age. Um, but this week, we're doing baby dedication. So what that represents is that we recognize that children are a, a gift from our sovereign Father, our sovereign God, regardless of the circumstances of their conception, regardless of the human circumstances around their family, uh, that God appoints life. He's the creator of life. And he's appointed every child and knows the time in which they live. And he's, he's chosen them for their family. He's chosen their family for them. And, and we recognize that for them to walk in the plans that God has for them will require God's grace and will require the, the encouragement and the prayers of a spiritual family. So we join with families to pray over their children. And so today I'm going to ask Abigail Gibson if she would come and bring her family and parents and siblings and extended family. And also Lydia Wisniewski. Did I say that right? Lydia Wisniewski. Where's David and Sarah? You guys coming? So David and Sarah and Lydia and, uh, and Ava. I don't know if Ava's here. Maybe uh, if we could have you guys come all the way across over here and have... Uh, Johannes and Sarah and David and Lee, if you guys come right here. And then if we could have, uh, if you are friends and family or uh, pastors, if we just want to gather around, uh, there's something powerful about physically gathering around people and laying hands on them to pray God's blessing over them. We see that scripturally. If you're, um, if you're not up here and you're in the audience, what I would encourage you to do is to, um, you're not a spectator, you're joining and praying. If you're, if you're a parent or if you've been a child of a parent, You know, you know, there's a lot riding on this. And we want to ask for God's provision, for God's grace. And so, um, let's start here with, uh, with Abigail. We have two biblical names, two, two, two babies whose names uh, are actually biblical names. They have biblical uh, roots. So Abigail is, uh, is a Hebrew name and actually means joy of the father is, the, is Abigail. It's your, the meaning of your name. Abigail was a, uh, 
a woman who was both beautiful and very wise. And because of her wisdom, she was able to be a peacemaker uh, in the midst of, of, of a very volatile world. And she was able to step into the fray and actually bring peace instead of devastation. And so Abigail, we bless you in the name of our heavenly father. We pray for Johannes and Sarah that as they seek to be your parents, as they pray for wisdom and faith to know how to be your mother and father, that you would, uh, Father, would you give them great grace? Would you give them faith to see not only who Abigail is, but who she's becoming? Would you help them to have that sort of uh, steadfast love that characterizes your love for us so that the way that they carry your image to her, the way they represent your image to her, would be true to who you are. And so we, we bless her. We, we ask for the plans that you have dreamed of for her from the foundations of the earth, that those would be established, that it would be her joy to walk in those and that she would not only be a joy to her parents, but that she would be a joy to her heavenly father and that she would find her joy in you in walking in your plans, walking in your ways. May she be a peacemaker in a volatile world not a peacekeeper, but a peacemaker. We bless you, Abigail, in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. And Lydia, Lydia, your name is actually a Greek name. It means beautiful one or noble one. Interestingly, we've actually been looking at Lydia uh, just recently as we were studying Philippians. And the, uh, the biblical Lydia uh, was the very first person to respond to Jesus in the city of Philippi. She led the way, not only in her uh, community, but in her family, in her household, in her city by um, responding to Jesus. And it was because the text of Acts 16 says that the Lord opened her heart. And so Lydia, we recognize you are in fact a beautiful one. And we pray that the Lord would open your heart from a very early age. And that because of that, your faith would ripple out not only to transform your life, but to transform your family, your coworkers, your employees, that as you grow in uh, the grace and love of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you would be a blessing in this world, that you would lead the way as one whose heart is open and attentive and responsive to Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for sustaining Leah through a difficult pregnancy. Thank you for staining David through a difficult pregnancy. And we now pray for them that you would unite them as, uh, as loving parents of this incredible treasure that you've entrusted to them. May she be a wonderful sibling to Ava and, um, and may their friendship be a, a strong friendship that brings out the best in one another. So Lydia, we now bless you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. We, um, we do baby dedications uh, typically on the first Sunday of the month. That way people can plan if you have out-of-town family or guests that you'd like to invite to join you or in-town family or guests. But if you'd like to do that, the way you do that, I think on your, um, on your month at a glance, there should be something that says how to go about doing that. Um, <laughs> if there's not, just call the church office and uh, Andrea will facilitate that for you, okay?
So having said that, today we're, we're resuming our study of Philippians. We only have w- uh, one more week after this week. Next week's our last week in Philippians. Two weeks from today, we'll be launching actually our Christmas series, if that doesn't put a little bit of panic in your heart. But I am really excited about this Christmas series. Um, it's called Good News of Great Joy, subtitle A Very Matthew Christmas. And... Um, I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited about what God's put in the hearts of our, our teaching team and our Sunday team about this. So um, today I've titled the message, uh, Am I Going the Right Direction? Here's our title, Am I Going the Right Direction? Throughout the series in Philippians, we've uh, continually circled back to Paul's thesis statement. Um, we've, we've, we've kept repeating it over and over. At least for my part, every time I'm here, I'm, I'm going back to Paul's thesis statement. And it's been repetitive, maybe to the point of being annoying. But there's actually a method to my seeming madness. And um, Paul alluded to that last week in last week's text that Pastor Brent took us through so well. Uh, Philippians 3.1, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. It's no trouble for me to repeat myself and it's a safeguard for you. That's really important. It's a safeguard for you. The the old phrase, repetition is an aid to what? Memory? (laughs) Nobody knows. Wow, fail. That was the old saying, repetition is an aid to memory, okay? But as it relates to our faith, to our spiritual life, Repetition is also an aid to internalizing truth, to having truth inscribed on our hearts to where we can begin to live that truth out. It's, and he says, Paul said, it's a safeguard for me to repeat something to you because what can happen is there's things that we know and we drift from because we live in a world that doesn't always celebrate the same truth, rarely celebrates the same truth. And so sometimes, do you ever have this experience where you hear something and you feel like it's the first time you've heard it, but then you realize in your Bible that you made that note previously? I have that sometimes. Like I'll I'll think I've discovered an epiphany and I'll realize that I've already written that in the margins of scripture. Because we drift from it. And so to repeat something is to to come back to it. It's a way of, of giving us the confidence to actually organize our lives around the things that we believe to be true to actually live our lives in such a way that we say that what we, we have in here, we actually believe this to be true. And so we're actually organizing, ordering our lives as if this is true. So we need the repetition. That's one of the reasons that we gather in a weekly rhythm because the world doesn't necessarily remind us of the truth we're trying to live out of. We need that reminder. We need to remind one another to call that forth in one another, to encourage one another. Repetition, repetition gives us the confidence. So Paul says, I don't remind repeating myself. I don't remind saying the same thing different ways. I don't remind restating the same thing in different words. You see what I just did? So we're gonna circle back to Paul's thesis one last time. This is what he began the letter with, Philippians 1.6. I am certain that God... I'm certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Jesus Christ returns. There is so much hope 
found in that little succinct statement. There's so much hope. Have you ever been discouraged about your Christian life, about your walk? Have you ever been dealing with shame, disappointment, failure, thinking everybody else knows how to do this and I just seem to be the the tragic flaw? There is so much hope right here. So I want to just actually repeat. uh, Can we just repeat this together out loud? Can we say it out loud? Because we're we're wanting to internalize this. We're wanting to make this a part of of our faith. So on the count of three, let's just read it out loud. One, two, three. I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Okay, one more time, but let's trade out the pronoun, the you pronoun to me, okay? And, and, and remind this of yourself. One, two, three. I am certain that God, who began the good work within me, will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Oh. Doesn't that bring hope? That should bring hope. It does bring hope. Hold on to that. If you need to be reminded of that right now, I would encourage you to commit that to memory. Maybe write it on a post-it note and stick it on your bathroom mirror or someplace where you look regularly. Like bathroom mirrors are always good places to put post-it notes because we tend to like looking at ourselves. <laughs> or not look like looking at ourselves, but we still do it, right? So here's the thing. Here's what we said. Paul's certainty that this good work that God's doing. And the good work is this. It's people being formed fully, completely into the image of Jesus. Carrying his image faithfully in the world with less distortions, right? That good work is going to continue. Paul's confident that it's going to keep, it's going to, it's going to work its way to completion because God's doing it. That's why he's confident. But he's writing the letter because they actually have a part to play in that. He's writing the letter because it, without writing it, he's concerned about what they might do or not do. They have an ongoing part to play in the completion of their salvation, which is why Paul reminded them in, uh, to diligently work on their part while trusting God to do his part. Look at 2.13. This, really, this is also really powerful. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That means make serious and intentional effort to walk in your salvation, to live it out. Do it with, with fear and trembling. For, or because, because it's God who works in you to will and to act in a order to fulfill his good purpose. Meaning, if you've been born again, if the spirit of God is living inside of you, God is actually, if you cooperate with him, he'll actually transform your will to want what he wants and then give you the empowering grace to act on that, right? That's the promise that he's right. So, 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 so there's this, this beautiful tension of him saying, you do your part and do it very intentionally and very seriously, knowing that God's gonna do his part, that he's gonna finish what he started, okay? That's the foundation. That's, that's the thesis. That's the foundation we're gonna build on today. So we're gonna turn to Philippians 3.17 and build on that. Brothers and sisters, Join in imitating me. It's kind of an audacious statement, isn't it? But Paul's saying he wants them to have 
physical examples of people that they can pattern their lives after because there's people he's concerned that they don't pattern their lives after. And so he offers himself as an example and says, follow me as I follow Christ, basically. He says that in another scripture. Follow me as I follow Christ. So brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. There's other people who are doing this too. It's not just Paul. Find those people that are walking the Christian life this way and keep your eyes on them. You know, this, this keep your eyes on, it's really important because what we look at is what we move towards, isn't it? They teach you this when you, like, I learned this when I was riding a bike. I ran into the, the neighbor's truck <laughs> because that's what I was looking at. I was so fixated on it. But if you look the direction you're going, you, you'll automatically begin to swerve towards what you're going, what you're looking at, right? Paul says, pay attention to what you look at. Keep your eyes on people who are walking this way. And then he, here's the warning for many, many of whom I've often told you, and I, I now, there, here's his repetition. I've told you this before, and I'm telling you this again in case you forgot. I'm giving you this warning again because it matters. I've to, many of whom I've told you before and now tell you even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. So Paul introduces a metaphor here. In, the, in these verses, and I, I highlighted it there with the word walk, he introduces a metaphor for how people live their lives. He calls it your walk. And I stuck with ESV because in, this, in this scripture because they actually leave the metaphor intact and they, they just put it as walk. That's, that is really the word. The word is, uh, it's peri, peripateo, peripateo. I just know that because I listened to it on the internet. I don't know Greek, but I studied so um, 96 times it appears in the New Testament, 93 of those times it's translated walk. So that really is what it means. The connotations are to stomp around or to stomp forward. It means it's a very deliberate, intentional step in a certain direction, okay? So it's not like meandering or wandering or shuffling, you know? It's not that. It's pay attention to how you walk, right? I like ESV because they left that. Other translations, uh, in fact, if you have a different translation, there's a good chance that it re they, they translated it for you and they interpreted the, the metaphor for you and they said, it, it, take a pay, pay attention to, to how people live. For some people live as enemies of the cross of Christ, right? So it may have, it may have done that for you. I think it's, that's a bummer because the metaphor is actually really important. The metaphor is super important because Paul's contrasting two paths that have two different destinations and two different outcomes. These two paths do not lead to the same place. They do not lead to the same outcome. And there's different traffic who's walking that road. And so this idea of walking really matters. Paul says, let me remind you or warn you that there's two paths. They don't arrive at the same place. And so which one you choose or which way you live, which way you live today, which way you live tomorrow and the next day and the next day, which way you walk, which way you live, it matters. I hope you hear this today. The way that you live every day, every choice, life is a series of choices. Our character is made up of a series of choices. You are not one choice but your character is reflective of a series of choices that you make, right? 
So we're gonna pause there. I wanna talk about a different metaphor that I've been exploring this week. How many of you are familiar with the difference between uh, true north and magnetic north? Some of you are familiar with that? Some of you, okay. I was vaguely familiar with it this week. And so I did a kind of a deep dive on true north versus magnetic north. In fact, I can say, like, I, I kind of geeked out on it for a while. It was like, I went down the rabbit hole of the World Wide Web and researching true north versus magnetic north. So big picture, here's the difference. True north is a, a fixed point on the globe. It's where the Earth's axis comes through the top of the Earth at the North Pole, right? Magnetic north is different. It's wherever your analog compass points in alignment with the Earth's magnetic field. So here, I have an analog compass. They all use the same technology. This one's pretty old. But they all use the same technology. They basically respond to the Earth's magnetic field, which is in fact not fixed. It changes. So true north never moves. Magnetic north is always moving. It changes and shifts in response to changes in the Earth's magnetic core. So um, magnetic north you could almost call it a false north. There actually is something else that's false north, so you don't find that. But it's almost a false north because it presents as if it's true north, but it very rarely is. Very rarely. How rarely? Um, the British Geological Survey, they report that um, for a brief moment in September of 2019, September of 2019, that the compasses at Greenwich, England, pointed, if you were to use a compass in Greenwich, England in September of 2019, it actually was in alignment with true north. It actually was pointing to true north. Do you know how long it had been since it did that? I know because I geeked out. <laughs> Over 360 years. And by October, it was no longer pointing to true north. Here's the cool thing though. If you have an analog compass, again, it, it'll, it's always going to point to true north, or it's always going to point to magnetic north. But if you have a digital compass, for example, if you have a smartphone, I didn't verify this on all smartphones. I can verify it on an iPhone. If you have, it, it actually has both options. You can toggle on your, comp, on your compass in the settings. You can toggle between true north and magnetic north. You can turn true north off. So here's what I did. I laid my, my, uh, my iPhone with the compass open on my desk. And here's a picture. This is, so I, I, I turned it until it was lined up perfectly with True North. This is with True North turned on. And then without moving the phone at all, I toggled True North off. And this is what I saw for Magnetic North. So what that shows you, the, the difference between Magnetic North and Degrees and true north, it's called the declination. Whatever the, the difference is, it's called the declination. And so this shows 13 degrees of declination from true north. So you're measuring off of 360. That's, it says zero, but it's measuring off 360. So 13 degrees of declination. So that might have, that's kind of, it looks like a pretty subtle difference. Like it's pretty close, right? I mean, it's basically true north. And if I was to take one or two steps in either direction, the difference might not be readily apparent. But what if I was to follow that path for a sustained period of time? Months, years, decades. Where does it, where does it land? 
The U.S. Geological Survey currently estimates that if you followed Magnetic North to its conclusion, you'd land 1,200 miles south of True North. If you followed True North to its conclusion, or Magnetic North to its conclusion. So let me ask you, how would you evaluate your success if you set out on a journey and you landed 1,200 miles from your destination? Nailed it. <laughs> right? That's it. Okay, practically speaking, if you were on a journey and your destination was Boise, 1,200 miles away would be landing you in Fargo, North Dakota. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with that. Right? <laughs> but if you're aiming for Boise and you landed in Fargo, you did not nail it. <laughs> right? So what's my point? And what's, actually, what's Paul's point? He's warning them that there's two paths and there's two groups of people walking those paths. And those people are not gonna arrive at the same place. And you know which path you're on by the lives of those walking in front of you. The reason he says, keep your eyes on me and those who walk the Christian life the way I walk it, because there are many who don't walk it that way. So the way that you know which path you're on, because you're not gonna arrive at the same destination, but how do you know if you're walking the right direction? That was our question, right? How do I know I'm walking the right direction? The question is, who are your co-travelers on the path? And what do their lives look like? Right? That's the question. So let's read those two verses again. Philippians 3.17. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears. I, th I think it's interesting, just pause. He's talking about people who are actually his opponents. We've seen throughout the text of Philippians, there are religious influences in Philippi that are destructive, that are actually not pointing people to Jesus or the cross. He's talking about religious opponents who posture themselves as Jesus followers or as spiritual leaders, right? And when he talks about them, he, he says, I'm telling you in tears, I, I weep over the journey they're on. He doesn't talk about them with disdain or hatred. He doesn't name call them. But he does warn about them and he weeps. I asked this question. So Paul's warning is that there's many, even those posturing as spiritual authorities that are on a path that actually doesn't lead to the cross of Jesus. The cross of Jesus is our way onto the path. Our, our new life, being born again by the Spirit of God, it's made possible because of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection at the empty tomb. So the cross is our way in, but it's also the path. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. This is the Christian walk. You follow a suffering savior. Ask the question today, who or what parades as a reliable spiritual guide, even Christian, but would garner a warning from Paul? And that's kind of a sobering thought. That just because someone postures themselves as a Christian leader doesn't mean that Paul wouldn't warn us about them. He's, he's warning his, his audience about spiritual leaders, right? So how do you know? It's kind of, because it's kind of unsettling. And in a world where, you know, we have major Christian leaders being taken out by sin, 
sin. How do you know who you're following? The test is whether they're leading people to become more like Jesus, to know and carry Jesus' image in our world. The, the test is whether or not the cross is actually the true north that they keep pointing to, that they're walking to. What does that mean? So Paul actually spells that out a little bit, practically speaking, in the remaining verses. He says, verse 19, he says, they are headed for destruction. These are people, this is the many who walk a different path. They're headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. Some translations, the actual, this one translated the, the metaphor. They say their God is their belly, right? They brag about shameful things. They think only about this life here on earth. But we're citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we eagerly are waiting for him to return as our savior. He'll take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with, with which he will bring everything under his control. Okay, that was a quick read through. We're just gonna go back through that and kind of unpack it line by line. So starting with this phrase, their God is their appetite or their God is their belly. What does that mean? It means they, want, they're, they're, they are ruled by their desires, their cravings, their longings, their appetites, their wants. Like, they, this could be, it could be sex, it could be food. It's just, it's those bodily cravings. Paul says they're ruled by that and, and it's their God. This is what they, in a sense, bow to. It's what they worship in the sense they give their devotion to it. They give their time, their energy. What are they spending their money on? What are they spending their time pursuing? What do they dream about? What are they spending their lives on? Well, it's their appetites. That's what they bow to. They spend their lives pursuing the satisfaction of their earthly appetites with actually little attention to their spiritual appetites. Warning. Next verse. They brag about shameful things. This is really interesting. Think about that and just unpack that. They brag about shameful things. This means they celebrate their godless lifestyle and actually wear it as a badge. Not only hiding it or being ashamed of it, but actually wear it as a badge. It's the person who brags about how many people they've slept with. It's laughing or celebrating when sex is treated casually rather than as a sacred gift from God, from our creator, right? It's, it's boasting about how drunk they got last weekend. Again, with no sense of shame or no desire to change. I was trying to think about this this week and thinking, what does it look like to brag about shameful things? I thought, well, it's basically all of our sitcoms. The basic plot line of every story in a sitcom, broad sweeping generalization, is boasting about shameful things, isn't it? It's about casual relationships. It's about getting drunk. They brag about how they cheated or lied for personal gain, how they got over on the government or some big business. They brag about shameful things. They think only about this life here on earth. Next line. They think only about this life here on earth. This is the person who takes great pride in living a self-indulgent lifestyle or if not living a self-indulgent lifestyle, longing for one. Looking at the people who have the self-indulgent lifestyle and feeling very jealous. Giving your energy to wishing I had that. 
This is buying stuff you don't really need in order to impress other people. It's always accumulating more stuff and never being satisfied that it's enough. It's that hunger, it's that desire. It's like always I need more stuff. I'll, be, I'll, I'll feel satisfied if I can just get whatever the thing is. They have no margins for tending to their spiritual life or to eternity or the kingdom of God because they're pursuing things on this plane. They think only about this life here on earth. It's as if their life mantra is, he who dies with the most stuff wins. And the stuff could be toys, it could be experiences, it could be vacations. It's he who dies with the most stuff wins, or she. The, here's the thing. The actual idea of organizing their lives around, for example, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. The actual idea of organizing their lives around obedience and conformity to that never crosses their mind. It's not even on their radar because they're so fixed on this life. So Paul says, many of them walk as enemies of the cross. They reject the cross. So here's Paul's warning about walking that path. It was actually what he started with. He says, they're headed for destruction. This is why he's warning the church. He says, look, God's gonna finish the good work he began in you, but you have a part to play and it matters how you live because many people are on a path that results in destruction. You don't have to think very hard to think about how these things ruin our lives. When we make any of those things our gods, the things we bow to, the things we worship, the things we're, we're fixated on, this is where we end up with all the pain of this world, right? I did a deep dive on True North this week, as I said. Here's what the World Wide Web, trustworthy source, Ready for this? Here's what the World Wide Web has to say about your personal true north, because that's actually a thing in our, in our culture. We talk about finding your true north. So it's used as a metaphor. Here's what the World Wide Web says. When you find your true north, you discover your authentic self. It's a combination of your purpose and your beliefs. You decide what you value most in life and you put that at the forefront. Once you're aware of this inner sense, you're one step closer to answering your calling. Listen to this, your true north is unique to you. By the very nature of everyone having a different true north means that's not true north, that's magnetic north. And it's shifting according to the earth's gravitational pull or the culture's gravitational tide. True north is found in one place and it's not constantly shifting. So what's the alternative? What's the other path that, that is true north that ends with Jesus having completed the good work that he began? We'll read about that alternative path because here's the thing, the alternative path is less popular, it's less traveled, but <coughs> delayed gratification it arrives at a better destination, right? Here's what he said. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. 
look at that word phrase, the citizens of heaven. Paul reminds them that their primary identity is no longer citizens of Philippi, which if you remember from our opening message, it was a big deal, Roman citizenship in Philippi. Historians, even outside of like biblical theologians, historians tell us that Philippi was a Roman colony and they were very proud of that. That came with status, with rights, with privileges. People would be like, I, I live in Philippi, we're a Roman colony, right? We're, I'm, I'm a Roman citizen. I've never been to Rome, but I'm a Roman citizen. We have all the rights, the status, the privileges. Paul says, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've been born again in the spirit, you have a new identity. You're now a citizen of heaven. Paul says, you need to retrain yourselves to think according to your new citizenship, a citizens of God's kingdom. And God's kingdom is not something that's away. It's here on earth. It's beginning to extend and advance. That was Jesus' central message, right? The kingdom of God has come near. So we're not waiting to get to a different place. We're waiting for Jesus' return. That's what it says. We're awaiting, a sa- waiting for, eagerly awaiting for him to return as our savior. So meanwhile, we're living as if our lives are already under his rule and reign. Our lives, are, we're already citizens of heaven. So Paul modeled this for him. The reason he can say, follow me or, or keep your eyes on me and follow the pattern that you saw in me is he actually did this in a really significant way when he was in Philippi. We, we saw this the first week when we were doing the background and we looked at Acts 16 and Paul comes into the city and he goes into Philippi and uh, they, they do something in the name of Jesus. They get in trouble for it. The city authorities grab Paul and Silas and they administer a, a severe beating and then they put him in prison in the innermost part of the prison. And all the while, Paul is silent about the fact that he's a Roman citizen. And we see at the end of that story that all he had to do to make all of that stop is say, hold on, I'm a Roman citizen. Because as soon as he did say that, everybody, that changed everything. But why didn't Paul do that? Why did he wait to do that until after the imprisonment, until after the beating? It's because he was first and foremost a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And somehow he had a sense that God was going to do something through this and he was going to rescue the jailer and his family. And the the jailer and the family, through this episode, his whole household got saved. This jailer who was probably a, a retired Roman soldier spending his retirement as a prison guard. They got saved. Paul says, I did that because I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven before I'm a citizen of Rome. Do you see where his primary citizenship was? As we close, we're gonna look at one more letter of Paul's. Just a few verses. It's uh, written, we're gonna look at Ephesians, part of Ephesians for just a moment. Ephesians was probably written right about the same time, maybe from the very same cell that he wrote Philippians from. As we close, he, he, he develops the very same application. You're gonna hear whispers of the very same themes just unpacked a little bit greater detail. But he says all the same stuff. Listen to what he says. Ephesians 4, 17. With the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. <laughs> Their minds are full of darkness. They wander. The direction they're walking is not towards the cross. 
They wander far from the life that God gives because they've closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and they eagerly practice every kind of impurity. He calls them, he says, don't live like the Gentiles live. That's a shocking statement to them. Maybe not to us. It's easy for us to just read that and breeze past it. The people he was writing to, the people of Ephesus were overwhelmingly predominantly Gentile. The people listening to this letter being read to them, he says, it'd be like saying to us, okay, you must no longer live like the Americans live. Talking about the Americans as a completely separate group of people. Their identity is so completely transformed as followers of Jesus, citizens of heaven, that he can say, you can't live like the Americans live anymore. You can't live like the Gentiles live anymore. Their foundational identity is now a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, and they are to live their lives and walk accordingly. So last sentence of that, of that paragraph, they have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. This is a broad banner. He's talking. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you've heard about Jesus and have learned that truth comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. When we take steps towards the cross, we're taking a step away from our old nature and towards our new nature. We're putting on, he describes it like, almost like clothing, that you're taking off an old garment and putting on a new garment. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry for anger gives a foothold to the devil. You ever met somebody who's toxically angry? It began as a root of bitterness that just never got addressed and it corrupts. It corrupts everything, gives a foothold to the devil. If you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. This would be a great filter for putting on your screen before you post on social media. <laughs> Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement for those who hear them. And do nothing to bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way that you live. Remember, he's identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. There's that same tension, isn't it? He's telling them to live this way, but he says, remember, it's God's doing it. Your hope is that God's at work in you, helping you to will and to work for his good pleasure. You'll be saved. He'll finish the good work he's begun, and you need to keep doing your part. Lastly, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander. <laughs> Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. In summary, I just wrote this out. Every day, you and I, we're taking steps 
in our apprenticeship to Jesus Christ. That's not a choice. You are walking a direction. The question is, which direction are you walking? Are you walking towards Jesus and being conformed to his likeness? Or are you walking according to the example pattern of human culture? Are you reinforcing your old pre-Christ nature or your new identity? I'm gonna ask the worship team to come back. And here's, we're gonna close in kind of a unique way this morning. They're gonna get ready to lead us in a song of response. And I wanna encourage you, you know, sometimes when we sing songs, we're singing songs that we want to be true, that we aspire to be true. If, if we're followers of Jesus, we, we, we hope this is true, but if we're really honest with ourselves, we acknowledge that we're not quite there yet. And so sometimes the songs that we're singing are, are prayers. We're actually saying, God, I want this to be true. Would you make it true? Would you will and to work in me so that this really is true? So sometimes our songs are, are, are prayers offered in, in song. So they're gonna get ready to lead us in a song that just allows us to give voice to that. Before we do that, I'm just gonna read through that list in Ephesians one more time. And that's a broad sweeping list, right? It, it covers a lot of ground. And I suspect if you have any self-awareness, you find something that you get caught on because none of us are done yet. We won't be fully formed in Jesus' image the way that we're called to, to be until Jesus comes back. So there's declination in all of our lives. There's, there's a degree to which we're not quite walking the path correctly. And so what I want to invite you to do is to just listen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read that again. We're not going to put it on screen. In fact, we're going to just put the cross on screen. And I want to invite you to just look at the cross as you listen to this and ask the Holy Spirit to just show you one thing, just one point of application, one degree of course correction this week, that in your walk as a father of Jesus, you can say, I want to I turn back towards the cross with this thing, okay? So Holy Spirit, would you show us what you want to do? Would you give us the grace to recognize the declination in our lives, the places where we haven't yet been conformed to your image or we're distorting your image to ourselves or to others. Holy Spirit, would you bring conviction to our hearts? And as we confess these things and as we sing to you our, our desires, would you transform us? Would you help us to put on the image of Christ, to put on our new nature, to find that we're not just citizens of America, we're citizens of the kingdom. Would you help us to follow the cross? So deserving of it all I enthrone you in the center You're all that I'm after Use my heart, no reservations You are worthy of it all It's my joy to live surrender 
You're all that I'm after. Let me just, just pause for a second. Tell you what, why don't you go ahead and stand? And let me read that last passage. Listen for your one thing. With the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do. They're hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life that God gives because they've closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and they eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you've heard about Jesus and have learned that truth comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature, your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives foothold to the devil. If you're a thief, Quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way that you live. Remember, He's identified you as His own guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. So get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. This is God's word. Let's sing this together. Here's my life. Here's my life, no hesitations, so deserving of it all. I enthrone you in the center. You're all that I'm after. Here's my heart, no reservations. You do worthy of it all. It's my joy to live surrender. Jesus. 
uh, feeling from that the Lord wants to empower you to live according to what was just read over you. And the way that he empowers us is by his Holy Spirit. And today, if you're just feeling weary, you're feeling parched, you're feeling thirsty, you're feeling empty, and you need a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit, or maybe you've never experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, today's the day. He wants to meet with you. He wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit. He wants to set you free. He wants to empower you to live according to his word today. And so if that's you today and you just say, hey, I want a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit, just come right now. We're, we're wrapping up today, but we're, we, I don't wanna pass up this moment for you to just receive the Holy Spirit in a fresh way. So just come on up, just come on forward. Say, that's me, I, I just need a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit today. I need to be empowered by God to live the way He's calling me to live. Come on up. I need to be empowered by God to let go of these things, to move through these things, to step into a new season of freedom in Christ today. Come on. Yep, you're just from all over the room. Just step forward. Yep, we're just gonna pray over you right now. The power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit is for every believer. The power of the Holy Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit is for every believer. It's not just for a few. It's not just for some. It's not just, it doesn't separate himself out denominationally. He's for everyone. He's for everyone. So I'm just gonna, the worship team's just gonna begin to, to, to play and just sing over us. And I just wanna pray. And if, we're just gonna meet with God if that's okay. Someone might lay their hands on you. Someone might not, that's okay. We're here to meet with the Holy Spirit. We're here to meet with Him today. So right now, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit on every heart and every life, on every mind, on every heart, right now in Jesus' name. All over this room, on every mind, on every heart, would you just fill every heart right now to overflowing. Be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. It can just, just right now, just present yourself before Him and just say, God, I'm yours. I'm here for you. Here's my life. Just like the song says, here's my life. No hesitation. I'm done hesitating. I'm moving into you, Jesus. With all I can, with all I have, I'm pursuing you, God. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's my life. Here's my life, no hesitation, so deserving of it all. I enthrone you in the center, you're all that I'm after. Here's my heart, no reservation, you are worthy of it all. It's my joy to live surrender.
Holy Spirit, the fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit over each one. Come Holy Spirit, reveal Jesus in this place. Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, would you just let whoever's praying for you know, just say, hey, I wanna know Jesus today. I wanna know Jesus today. They wanna pray with you to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today. We're just gonna keep pressing in, but we don't wanna, if, if you wanna just stay in ministry time, just stay in ministry time. We're gonna keep going. If you need to head out today and you need to go, God bless you, you're dismissed. Go make the invisible God visible. But if you wanna just press into what the Holy Spirit's doing, we, we welcome that too. So just come on up, there's no rush. There's no rush. We're just gonna to continue to meet with God. God bless you. We're just gonna keep meeting together with God. Thanks for listening. To respond or receive prayer after the live stream closes, Please email prayer at vineyardboise.org. And if possible, include your phone number. We'd love to get in touch with you. Thanks.